If your child is facing a life-saving liver transplant, please reach out to the Children's Organ Transplant Association, or CODA. The CODA crew are looking forward to learning more about your family's biliary atresia journey. CODA works with families to lessen the financial burden of a life-saving transplant and support is provided at absolutely no cost. Please call CODA today at 1-800-366-2682 or go to coda.org forward slash get started to learn more about how they can help. that we wanted to talk about the impact going through the BA journey and ultimately the transplant journey. We wanted to talk about its effect on our personal relationships, more specifically with our significant others. Right. And this is something that personally I feel is important to talk about because so rarely we see on like social media, very rarely do we see people talking about this. We see a lot of the highlights mm-hmm. of social media, but I think that there's a lot of the background of everything. And it isn't until we get with other families like face-to-face that we actually start to kind of break down some of the realness of the experiences. And I think that this being one of them is something that is not talked about enough. I agree hundred percent. When you go through something like this with your child in this area, biliary atresia, one of the things that gets put on the back burner on the wayside is how it's going to affect family dynamic. The structure of your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with other kids, if you have other children, completely change overnight. And so you have to then restructure that in a way where at least I felt in my journey, we were always on high alert. We were always like in the survival mode. We did what we had to do to just barrel through it. And then the after effect, then you start to sit back and go, wow, we just went through that. And so I feel like that that is a topic that definitely needs to be talked about more to help other families. So, and to your point, I felt because we're talking about this, I thought that it was important to bring in the other perspective of everything. And so my husband, Morgan, Hudson's dad, we brought Morgan on to get a holistic perspective of everything. And again, this is all like based on our experience and talking about this. And one of the things that I want our listeners to get from this is to understand that they're not alone. This is not something where all of a sudden, like kumbaya, we come together, shit gets hard, right? Kumbaya, let's come together. Let's all hold hands. That's not how it happens. And two, the dads have a voice as well. And they play a different role 
yeah. in this. Or maybe they didn't. We don't know. In some experiences, this has been the dad's perspective, yep. their relationship perspective, right? Right. And what's going on. Again, this is like speaking from our perspective. Things change when we got the diagnosis of biliary atresia. And I've even written about this on social media. <laughs> the minute that we got the biliary atresia diagnosis, I remember specifically we were in the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. I was the person that tried to hide how I was feeling. And I felt like at the time you held it together. Yeah, I kind of knew it was <laughs> like this diagnosis was going to happen because before we went into that office, however long before we agreed not to you know, look on the internet and start Mm -hmm. searching down a rabbit hole to make ourselves nuts. And I absolutely did that. And so (laughs) So, so basically you broke our promise. I I need to know what's going on or what could be the diagnosis. When he sat there, it's like, he said it and I was like, dang it. Okay. It is the one side of the spectrum of the possibilities that we didn't Mm -hmm. want it to be on. So I, I kind of prepared myself a little bit to hear that. But again, it, it's something where I just take information and I hear what's happening and it's like, okay, that's what it is. What's next? What do we do next? What, is, what are the next steps? How do we go? How do we address it? How do we go about it? Because, you know, stepping back and feeling sad about it or disappointed or frustrated or angry, all these, you know, negative reaction emotions you could have on something like that. They don't help the situation. They don't help you but, forward. But did you feel that? I, I mean, it was like... I don't know, kind of like a, a bummer. It's like, I, I didn't want to have to go through this. I didn't want to right. go through this, but if you just get hit with it. And then it's the reality of this is us now. This is what we're going to be for the rest of this kid's life. And it's an adjustment where you have to think it through it at the doctor's office. Yeah, you're okay, what do we do? You ask your questions and you go in the car and you drive home and thinking, you know, okay. I, know. I specifically remember when we had the diagnosis, Mm -hmm. I cried. I like did all Mm -hmm. that. Morgan was pretty stoic in the office. And then this is right before Thanksgiving. Then we went Mm -hmm. into our car. Then remember we drove to Whole Foods to pick up a Thanksgiving dinner for just me, Morgan and Hudson. And I remember specifically out, we were both just like numb to it all. I told him when the parking lot, I had cried. Like, I was like, I need to wear my sunglasses because (laughs) I had been crying and everything. So like that was fine. But like when I went out in public, I kind of pulled myself together and we did all that. And that's when I say like, I was numb. The reason I bring that up is because I think at the diagnosis that that's when you and I, like our roles and whether this Mm -hmm. was my perception of it or it is what it is, I think that's when like, we started having roles and expectations mm-hmm. of each other. It was like at that very moment. Cause I, I remember our own rules a little bit for the rest of our life through it. Yeah. Cause I remember you saying, I'm going to say things to you and it's going to be about Hudson and his care or whatever. And it's not personal. It doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I, hate, it doesn't mean I hate you. It <laughs> means because our son right. like requires this. It's not that he you know, wants or needs. It's like he requires this. That's so like but that, take it personally. That wasn't right away though, was that? Yeah, it, it kind of it kind of was. Oh, it kind of went, I, I, need my, I need to give myself I need to give myself more credit. <laughs> let me ask you this as a dad with a brand new son. My husband was we welcomed this boy into the world and mm-hmm. he has all these thoughts, right? Like, you know, football player and my you know, hair. Yeah, yeah, right. And mm-hmm. and that all 
came to a screeching halt in a sense um, from what I could tell with him. For you as a dad with a brand new son, how did that feel? Because as moms, yes, we'll cry. We want to protect our kid. We want to save our kid. We want to help our kid. We want to make sure they're healthy and in all those things that moms do, right? It's just a different kind of role. What was the thought at that time for you as a brand new dad with a son going through this? Was it like a switch? Like all of a sudden, then you were like, well, now I got to wear this different hat. Yeah, absolutely. Life was going to be different. I didn't know what that different was or to what extent it was going to be different. I think up till now, I kind of realize how off the expected course of but what, you know, his what were your... life and development that we would think it would, it would be. Mm-hmm. Back then, it was just, I had no idea. You know, it's just mm-hmm. sheer ignorance of, <laughs> okay, what do we yeah. do next? I have no idea. And so all those thoughts of him following up on Jordan and my soccer careers or my wrestling career, <laughs> or, you know, whatever, athletics and sports and interaction, whatever is going to happen is like out the window for now. Right. And we got to focus on whatever this diseases and getting him through that and then figuring Mm -hmm. out what the the future is going to be i know hudson's story is a little bit different than most Mm -hmm. ba kiddos maybe like share a little bit about that and maybe kind of share how because it went pretty quick for you guys correct it went quickly but it also went smoothly which i think is what is unique to our situation because we knew at 20 weeks that something was going to be different with Mm -hmm. Hudson. The doctors didn't really know what that meant. So we knew ahead of time that the doctors were like, hey, we don't know the extent that Hudson is going to be impacted by Mm -hmm. his, at the time we thought it was just heterotaxy, which just means like his organs were in different places than everyone else's. So they told us ahead of time before I gave birth, they were like, let's go ahead and we're going to have him in the NICU as soon as he's born. We're going to have him immediately go to the NICU and we're going to assess him and we're going to observe him and let's like see how he does, you know, not dependent on you. Because while he was in me, he grew just fine. I mean, he was eight pounds, three ounces when mm-hmm. he was born. <laughs> like he was a pretty good sized baby. So we did know ahead of time. With that, he kind of gave us a heads up, would you say, mm-hmm. in terms of hospital care? He was born, he stayed in the NICU. I'll say the first thing that we did was we took shifts right in his care so in the NICU we took shifts on feeding Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but I remember it had to have been five days in or something we were both so exhausted the NICU nurses were like let us take a shift you guys go sleep Mm -hmm. let us take a shift or go home something like that And I remember just crying and being like, I'm missing one of the shifts. Like I'm a bad parent. I can't do that. And then I remember because I was so sad about that, I remember you going, (laughs) driving to the hospital and taking that shift. I remember you like going. Oh, because remember, I I don't remember. You don't even even remember that? Oh, I remember. Do you remember like I started not feeling well and I was so sad and everything? And they were like, oh, this is totally normal with like in a fever with was it metastasis or something? Like as a new breastfeeding mom, or like I was pumping at the time because I wasn't breastfeeding and I was just like crying. 
because hormones and my, Gotta love those hormones. And my, and my emotional state. <laughs> and, no, but I think that that was the first time that you drove to the NICU and you're like, I'll take this shift. Yeah, I was I, like so sad. And it's so funny that you don't remember I, that. And, and I, I think it kind of lends itself to, I found myself on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just yeah. react and whatever is needed. I think for us in, in our you know, relationship with Hudson being born and all that, you were like the primary and I, I knew I was the secondary. It was just, yeah. I'm not offended by that, you know, relegate myself to a, not a, a lesser role, but just sort of a, a supplementary role. Mm-hmm. I think I just, yeah, put on autopilot. What do you need? Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm there. Mm-hmm. Oh, you need food? Okay, I'll go out and get it. You know, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Whatever has to happen, just go do it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not a big deal. It's not. And you know, that because like my husband was kind of the same way. Like I always see my, so I saw my husband as task oriented. Mm-hmm. So I'm the one in the hospital taking care of hospital life. Mm-hmm. Right. And my husband would be the one that would make sure things were done at the house. Mm-hmm. It was in the winter. So the lawn didn't have to be mowed, mm-hmm. but you know, did he need to shovel? Who is going to get the mail? Who is going to let the dog out? Who is going to, you know, so tasks at home, making sure he wanted to make sure all of that was taken care of so that while I was at the hospital taking care of Nate, then when we came home, then it wasn't like another worry to, you, you know, to, to do that. Exactly. Just, just sort it out. I'm trying to think, I think that we we were pretty evenly divided on our like care of Hudson. I feel like we didn't necessarily go like, I love that that worked for you guys. Mm-hmm. And like that you recognize that that dynamic worked well, for you guys. I'm not saying that worked. Oh. I'm saying that's, <laughs> that's what, what happened. That's, that's how it happened. <laughs> because I think for us, we were both like our priority was like, it was important that both of us were involved and we knew that we need to like take turns mm-hmm. in that and tag in tag out yeah tag in tag out but I'll tell you I'm not saying it was a perfect system Mm. because let's fast forward to a couple months you know we were discharged and everything that also created like once I like was in that set primary position Mm -hmm. and we had been doing it for a couple months that that almost took a toll on you and I's relationship because it almost became me telling you what to do and like me constantly being the caregiver of Hudson and almost being some like, I'm not saying that this happened right away. I'm just being honest in terms mm-hmm. of like the progression of it all. That almost backfired mm-hmm. and I became the manager of everything. Yeah. Me being the primary, I think mm-hmm. became the manager of everything. Came up with the plan of care and you managed that and you cared. And then all I had to do was... <laughs> Adhere to the rules <laughs> and care as well on, on the off. I, I wasn't the one coming up with the plan. Yeah. But, but for you having to plan and manage the plan and care, where I just followed the plan and cared, mm-hmm. there's a dichotomy there and it's difficult to not have some animosity towards the other person in that situation. But after like for a while, I think there was a lot of animosity between the two of us. It's like, cause you have, as the primary caregiver, you have a way of doing things, right? You have, <laughs> you have not just a way of doing things you have, because you know, it works, you know, it's effective, you know, it works and this is how it's done. The child is used to that way of it being done. And if something changes, 
what it is, what it is. So there's all these components behind it. But I also think that like for, for us, again, I'm, I'm speaking that created this resentment between Morgan and I, but that was like a gradual buildup is I started just being super frustrated with Morgan not doing things the way that I was doing it. And then I actually, I don't, I couldn't even tell you where I got this, this advice, but ultimately like someone came in or I heard it somewhere and they were like, you know what is the task being done? And I said, yes, the task is being done. The list can be checked off. Mm-hmm. Is the task being done? And I said, yes. And they're like, why does it matter how it's being how done? It's done? Yes. And I was like, okay, that piece of, of advice was huge. And I'm not saying it was like night and day mm-hmm. where it was like, okay, everything is right in the world now. Right. That takes me letting go of a lot of things. And even to this day, I mean, we're fast forward five years. I still have to remind myself, is the task being done? Yes. Okay. So it doesn't matter how it's being done. So that was something that like early on that we really had to like practice that mm-hmm. because I very much got annoyed because I'm like, this is my, this is my job 24 seven, right? right? This is my job. This is what I do. I do it in this way. And by you not doing this, you're not respecting my job, right? And that's how I took it. And I would agree too, like earlier that I shared, my husband was very task oriented and I just took care of the the healthcare needs of Nate at the time. It didn't work. And then we were kind of going down that same road too of this is the way I learned it in the hospital. This is the way I'm going to do it. We had that same kind of animosity as well. And then we'd fight about, how the meds were given mm-hmm. or who flushed his pick line or who it just got so nitpicky in how got petty yeah mm-hmm. very petty and at the end of the day here we are caring for a child and what you had just said as long as he's being cared for how you get there but how long did it take you to like Again, I'm still not there. 10 like, years post-transplant, <laughs> we're still there. Yeah. Like I still <laughs> have know? those issues with other things now. It's, it's like totally whether, different. It's whether shifted. it's like, it's like school, you know, whether it's school stuff yep. and talking mm-hmm. about like the different behavioral things that we're working on and stuff like that. So I'm not saying that this is a perfect system because it's no. something I'm constantly no, yeah. working on. It was like this advice that I think has been instrumental mm-hmm. to both of us staying sane and it's funny because like we always joke like as moms as quote-unquote liver moms we always joke like I bet you if we had to have our husbands put the pill box together they wouldn't know what dose or how to do it or you know whatever for me it was learning to let go a little bit I'm kind of a control person Mm -hmm. so learning to let go a little bit and say let me show you how to do this pill box here's what his doses are right now or you know whatever it may be I think that that was a big step but again 10 years post-transplant we're finally realizing oh my husband can go and be impatient with him. I don't always have to be the person to be impatient. You bring up like a great topic, which is like the whole impatient versus being home and the caregiver and everything. How did you and Alex divvy up the caregiver thing (laughs) while you're, while you're impatient, while you're impatient? Because I think that that's something, because you never know when you're going to be impatient, right? So these conversations have to happen, right? So what, and I don't think it's normal like you don't set something up that works every time, but like, do you guys have, do you guys have a system? You know, 
when we were impatient a lot, I mean, it was just, you know, you just go, you just went, right. You, you had a bag already kind of put together because it was put together the last time you went and you threw the clothes in the wash and then you put them back in the bag, hoping that there wasn't a next time. But in reality, there's all, there was always going to be a next time. One thing that a lot of parents I'm sure go through this is my job was more flexible than my husband's job. Mm. So whoever's job was going to be flexible in you going, that's who went. Mm -hmm. And we had that kind of hurdle to go over. Mm -hmm. The other part, which we laugh now, but my husband, he, he just be like, well, he goes, you know how to navigate the hospital better. You know how to talk to the doctors. And it used to get me so mad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I get that. I understand that. And he would stand there and he'd be like, I'll be standing there with you. I'll ask the doctor a question and they'll turn and look at you and give you the answer. He's like, so why would I even bother? So um, I think that, you know, there was a little bit of that too. Like, I literally didn't even think about that. Did you experience that too? Uh, I mean, because that's something I like haven't even thought about. The experience of doctors, everyone turning to you. Yeah. I mean, like exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, Alex would maybe ask you know, the resident in the room or, you know, whatever. Our attending was, was awesome. He always addressed both of us, but you know, when you're impatient, you don't always get your doctor. So yeah, there were times where like he would ask the question and then I'd be standing there with them and they would turn and look at me. Yeah, exactly. Start off and then (laughs) drift. And drift right to me. Yeah. I still listen intently and try to, you know, understand and all that, but for me, it was, I was very fortunate that I had an employer who gave me all the latitude mm-hmm. needed to be there with Hudson and Jordan to support both of them in, in this You were thing. there most nights. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which was great because mm-hmm. otherwise I could be there most nights because working in the day, I was also there during the days because I right. didn't have to be at work because my employer decided, understanding what's going on mm-hmm. with the situation, saying, just do what you have to do to get your kid right, <laughs> your family right. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So then the focused, you know, the focus turned on, you know, Hudson in the hospital rather than this like pit in my stomach, this anxiety, like I need to be at work. I need to take care of things. I need mm-hmm. to be there and be present while dumping the rest of it on Jordan saying, sorry, from eight to five, Yeah, this is on you where I can now be there at the hospital. And, you know, a lot of people go through that. There was, yeah. there were some days oh, that yeah. he did have to do that though. And I think that I would text you all the time. And I was like, I'm going insane. <laughs> like, yeah, I can't just being by yourself in the hospital, in the room by oh. yourself. And I mean, cause at the time too, like Hudson was less than a year old. Right. So he would nap and especially cause he was sick. So he slept a lot. I remember just like Morgan, I, I can't do this, but I'm like, I can't be in my own thoughts for 10 hours a day. I can't do this. Like you, well, you'd come back. You brought something, you brought something up that I think every parent goes through. At least I know I did was that I couldn't be at work. So I'm in the hospital and I'm stressing out about work. I'm at work. I'm stressing out about the hospital. It's like a lose, lose situation. Mm -hmm. And I found myself in that struggle for a very long time even though my employer was like do what you you know we're here for you you still you feel like you're 
you're not giving a hundred percent on both ends. Yeah, exactly. Most dads, they go to work, they take care of the family and that sense. Did you feel like that a lot? If you were at work, Jordan's with Hudson, you'd be like, man, I, I really should be there. And then you're there mm-hmm. with Hudson. And then you're like, man, I really got a lot of work to do. Like, how did you work say, through I wouldn't, that? I wouldn't hold it against you if you were honest about this and be like, it was a nice break. Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, not to say that it wasn't a nice break, right? but again, you know, my my son's in the hospital. Yeah, and yeah. my wife is there having to take. I don't. I don't want to leave my son in the hospital and right. knowing what he's going through with tubes sticking out of every area of his body and IVs <laughs> and crap. I, I don't want to, you know, leave that or, or or do that. I want to be there. So I'm at work trying to, you know, do my job, and I'm half-assing that because I know I want to be at the hospital and. You know, yeah. help, help support the, the kid. I was very fortunate that my employer, you know, didn't force me to be in the office and mm-hmm. I could get out and, and go to the hospital and you know, walk up the hill and spend time with them yeah. and, and, and be there. Mm-hmm. We, were, we were very lucky in that. Yeah. That was definitely helpful in everything. Whether we were there at Seattle Children's, we were good. But let's like fast forward. Because one of the things that we wanted to talk about on this specifically is kind of the dynamic of being in a relationship, Mm -hmm. partnership, marriage with a significant other with all this. So, I mean, I won't put you on the spot. Like, how do you think that? I'm glad it's you. <laughs> I know it's not my we, husband. We can we can phone Alex. In yeah, no. <laughs> so I'm gonna put you on the spot. But like, what effect do you think Hudson's our experience has had on like you and I's relationship? I think it's been a little divisive. Like the whole situation, everything kind of through a wedge in where you're just now obsessed with his care and getting him right and doing what you have to do to the Mm -hmm. point where it's like we gotta kind of get to know each other a little (laughs) again you know it's it's nice to high five for the wins but you know it'd be nice and it's been great you know we have good you know friends around us that come and babysit so we can go out not as often as we probably should (laughs) um but just getting back to to us and getting reacquainted because now Hudson's on you know, I'll call it easy street is, yeah. you know, requires a lot less care than he used to. And right after his, his transplant. Mm-hmm. But. I remember a time that we went out to dinner. I think we had a friend fly in and she was like, I want to stay with Hudson. Mm-hmm. She was like a labor and deliver- delivery nurse. So we were like, okay, we're good. We're good. So they were like, go out to dinner. We went out to dinner and we were like, let's not talk about Hudson. Like, let's try not to talk about mm-hmm. Hudson. Spoiler. <laughs> we <laughs> talked about Hudson. <laughs> but I remember that was when we were doing our six hour shifts remember where so hudson like mm-hmm. had a feeding tube right mm-hmm. so we didn't feel comfortable having him in a crib or anything like that so we were doing six hour shifts with him on our couch in the living room again with everything we didn't feel comfortable leaving him alone so one parent would go for six hours what was it like a three to it was yeah nine p.m to 3 a.m yeah and, and, which i did yeah and you did the 3 a.m to yeah. 9 a.m so we were talking about that and so like we'd done weeks of that right mm-hmm. so we went out to dinner and i remember like telling you being like i can't do this right and i remember like telling him like i think i know that this is what we should do mm-hmm. but like in my heart of hearts like I can't do like I don't feel connected to my child. I don't feel connected to you. Like I feel like we're just zombies going through mm-hmm. all of these yeah. emotions. 
like, do you remember this being at that Italian restaurant yeah. down the street? And we were like, and I was like, Morgan, like, I know that we're not supposed to be talking about this, mm-hmm. but this is like something critical. Yeah. I was like, I, I don't know if this is postpartum. I don't know if this is like, just like PTSD of what we're going through. I don't know if this is, I was like, but I can't do this anymore. And you were very supportive and you're like, well, what do you need? And I was like, first of all, I was like, I don't know. Why don't you know? Like, <laughs> I'm, t- I'm telling you what my problem is. Why aren't you giving yeah. me a solution? Why do I have to come with, come up with a solution too? And, but then we were like, okay, like let's try some things out and let's do it. So I think that that, and I tell that story because it was like, that was a success story for us, I think where we were like, okay, so this isn't working. Our shifts at the couch weren't working anymore. Mm-hmm. So we brought them into our bed and we were like, we need to like do this together. And we started like co-sleeping and doing that. And that was like, I think that was a step in the right that direction. Was. This is me. Like, again, my sure. perception, I think that was a step in our, in our right direction. Um, Cause then we're on the same hours again. Yeah. Yeah. And was like, okay, you go to sleep for five and a half hours if you can even get to sleep yeah to get to that and just a lack of sleep but now the kid is in between us and we figured out how to hang his feeding bag in between us up on the bed headboard and then you know we'd have an ice pack in there with a big pack <laughs> that, of that's our that's our tip in there. yeah that's our um, like tip to everyone is yeah. you know no doctor will approve of me saying this but <laughs> put an ice pack on either side of the no, just one in there. of the feeding bag no yeah. we had it we had it on either no, side i'm one. pretty sure we had it on no. either side and then so that it so that you had more than there. you had more than four hours yeah. because yeah. guess what have, someone someone didn't parents needed more than four hours sleep yeah. <laughs> um whoever's getting kicked out of bed on hour four didn't need to anymore yeah that was that was big that was a big victory mm-hmm. for us i think was the ng tube success yeah. and like sleep him sleeping with us and the ng tube success i think that was a huge success obviously not just for hudson i think that was a huge success mm-hmm. for us mm-hmm. as mom and dad or as a couple you win yeah. out of it yeah <laughs> it, because it worked for hudson yeah and it worked and he was fed and fine in the morning he's like okay this worked. let's try it another night try it yeah. another night try it another night and pretty soon that was now the new normal moving forward yeah so did you at any point in time then like since you found this new normal at any point in time did you still kind of find the nitpicking uh, to this day I still yeah. find nitpicking yeah <laughs> is that something that like any family doesn't find yeah uh, no but I if, mean if no, no one if no one does please call me my number is 303 <laughs> here's the bottom line it's like the caregiver that is with the child 20 the primary caregiver 24 7 mm-hmm. whatever they know that child inside and out and I'm not saying that the other caregiver parent doesn't right and again this is like my perspective the more than likely you don't even to this day and this isn't a knock on morgan this is just a reality is like i mean even now we find ourselves like hudson will have this behavioral thing or he'll say this like he'll have the same thing and i'll be like morgan like this is how we need to handle this Mm -hmm. and like this is how we do this whether that be like i tell him proactively or i tell him reactively Mm -hmm. like after it's Mm -hmm. happened Mm -hmm. It is what it is. I think it's a very real dynamic that still exists, that nitpickiness. Mm -hmm. 
and it's, it's training him but it's also training us yeah mm-hmm. and yeah. i i don't get trained right away i know i kind of yeah. well, end up i you know jordan gets frustrated at me because <laughs> you know i i take a left with him when i should take a right and she corrects my behavior which she gets frustrated at because she has to correct my behavior <laughs> to have to try to help correct his behavior like, well oh, i think yeah. that i think that he get frustrated at me too though i try to explain something to him like mm-hmm. why something happens and i'm like i'm not criticizing you i'm yeah. explaining to you and i can like tell heat of the moment i can like, tell no. sometimes he's just like whatever or you like do your one at like your yeah. like what do you call yeah. it like brush off thing right where like right. yeah like i get it whatever yeah. like and i'm like I'm not mad at you. Yeah. I'm just literally trying to explain to you or something. And you, I can tell that you like get annoyed with me. Uh, you don't, you don't hide it well. You also don't have the best tone. What are you talking about? <laughs> let's, let's ask the listeners of this That's podcast. Right, do, I, right? do I have a good tone? The only answer here that is accepted is it's yes. yes. <laughs> yes, press one. Yeah. No, press two. No, oh, two doesn't work. Weird. <laughs> Oops, uh, hit the star button. Um, no, you know it's funny because like like with with Alex and I, I, I think like from relationship perspective, I he's not here with us, but and and I don't want to kind of speak for him, but we we have had these conversations. You gotta get Alex to dial in. I know. <laughs> um, yes, caller one. Yeah, it's like what do you have twelve twenty in <laughs> Chicago AM right now? But I think one of the things is like from Alex's point of view was that he was my number one. He was my boyfriend and he was my fiance and he was my husband. And we got to, we spent a little time together just as a couple. And then here comes his baby and everything's supposed to be right in the world. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to have just like this, you know, house, white picket fence, one kid, you know, just like this, the American dream. Right. And then it all of a sudden <laughs> just like whomp, like there it goes and now he's not my number one mm-hmm. and Nate's my number one what my fault was was not recognizing that sooner because my response was always well yeah Nate is number one to mm-hmm. me because of x y and z you know he's starting to feel like abandoned so to speak I guess so fast forward post-transplant 10 years after and you know we're working we have to work on that now Mm -hmm. like it just didn't happen the fix didn't happen overnight we're still working on that so I guess you know my question I'm kind of wondering Morgan did you ever feel like that in your guys' situation um, not to like put, put you on the spot, <laughs> put you on the spot, or a little wedge between you guys tonight. But like, did you ever feel like that? Like what? Like, did you ever feel like you weren't number one anymore? Like, oh, you know, Jordan. Well, I mean, from the onset, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when, when she says this, I'm gonna probably tell like say terrible things to you. Okay, next topic. I, <laughs> I don't love you or anything. It's just for the right. betterment of right. And, and I. Right. I'd recognize that. Yeah. And I think Jordan didn't become my number one anymore. It was just, what do we have to do to get? Right. It's right. like survival so, mode yeah. this whole time. And I think that we like set that up ahead of time. I remember, and this was maybe like more newborn than it was like Hudson at night, <laughs> Morgan, like, you know, obviously you have to feed a newborn every four hours. And Hudson was like every four hours on the dot you know, we would take turns and everything. And I remember Morgan would just be <laughs> yeah. so terrible. He'd be, awful. 
so terrible so terrible like well you wouldn't wake oh no well hudson would sleep the night because of that because he was tired because his liver didn't work (laughs) (laughs) but so but we would have to wake up every four hours morgan was the worst waker upper in the world i still am and he you're better now but he was like so hateful and so (laughs) so grumpy and i think after it couldn't have been longer than a week it, and, it took a while for the sleep and training. that I was yeah. like, I was like, I can't, I can't manage you and the child. And the child. Yeah. So like, I can't I, be the one to wake you up. Yeah. Yep. To you know, yeah. go do what you and then like talk you down. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And do then like what you need to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember we went through that life. too. Like I remember like with Nate. Well, first of all, I so I fought our team they wanted to send us home with an ng2 and i fought and fought and fought and i said i will get up and feed the kid every hour mm-hmm. i don't care he's we're not going home with an ng2 yeah they're like all right let's see if yeah. they're like okay lady you you do you right yeah. and then we'll see you next week and drop an ng2 yeah. right <laughs> exactly yeah so we did we went home and it's just funny to hear you guys because that like alex is the word like you I mean, he could sleep through a tornado. I mean, so it's jealous. just, it is, it, it is, it's, <laughs> right? He was awesome. We took turns, you know? Yeah. And Nate, you know, he, he would wake up like every hour and a half because he is laying on his back. He was uncomfortable. He's mm-hmm. not eating enough. The big belly, the whole nine yards. There were so many nights where Alex would fall asleep in, we had a big lazy boy in yeah. Nate, Nate's room. And he'd sit there, rock them, try and feed them as much as we could. I mean, we would celebrate two ounces. Like, yeah. oh, it's in, you know, I mean, little Shit, wins, I right? I remember celebrating 30 mils. Like yeah, one I mean, it was yeah. just like the littlest things. And, you know, he he would just take it down and then he'd kind of like fall asleep again. And there were so many nights that Alex would fall asleep in that lazy boy and just hold him. Mm-hmm. So then I'd go back to, I wouldn't wake him up. I'd go back to bed and then I'd set the alarm and then I'd go in, get the bottle. I mean, it was mm-hmm. just kind of like this thing. So it just reminded me of that. Like we did the same thing. And then I think probably, I want to say a couple months later, it, the team was like, uh, Jen, nice try, but we got to drop an NG. <laughs> I tell you. So I lost my, yeah. as much as like, as traumatizing as the NG tube is to people. It was a lifesaver. It was a lifesaver. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. It's, it's a game changer. And yes, there, don't get me wrong. There are cons to an NG tube. Absolutely. But yeah. when it comes to sleep, the sleep, oh, the dynamics and stuff like that, the NG tube was the best thing yeah. that happened to us. Absolutely. Um, Hudson didn't get the NG tube until three months, until he was three months old. And he had it all the way up to transplant and then he dropped it post-transplant. No, that's a lie. He didn't drop it until like four months mm-hmm. post-transplant because then we let him eat all the food he wanted to eat yeah. solid wise. Mm-hmm. And then we did the NG tube at, at night. Mm-hmm. But if anyone has any reservations about an NG tube, <laughs> your sleep will thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. That was like the worst, like, <clears throat> I'm just like, nope not doing it i will wake up with my kid and i remember the See, doctors looking at me like this woman i no i didn't have that <laughs> oh my gosh we didn't have that whatsoever as soon as the doctors recommended it we were like okay yeah. do it do it let's do it yeah yeah no we didn't fight it at all we yeah. were like okay <laughs> 
it costs us like an extra week in the hospital too. And they're like, they're like, yeah. he has to get to a certain weight before we're yeah. going to allow you to take him home. First of all. And so I'm like, fine. I'm like, just let's see what he does. Like have, but you know, why did, why did you fight it? Cause I was afraid that I would either not drop it properly um, that he would yank it out a lot and I'd have to constantly keep dropping it. And I was so terrified because I mean, I was going off of my own trauma. Nate's journey to Kasai was not a fun journey. We had complications with the liver biopsy. Mm-hmm. We almost lost them. And it just, you know, he had to go in for emergency surgery and then we went into the PICU. We had to wait a couple more days to have him get strong. And then he went back and did the Kasai. And then we were back in the PIC. So, I mean, we've, we had a lot of trauma. I just feel like, you know, maybe I'm strong-willed, maybe I'm stubborn, you know, I was all of the above, but I did not want to take my son home on an NG tube. Okay. And so they, so they like met me halfway. They're like, if he gains X amount of pounds by next week, then we will let you, you know, pounds or ounces or ounces. Sorry. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, if he weighed a certain amount by this time, so you need to start feeding him by mouth now, you know, then we'll let you take him home. And so we did like, it was hard work, Mm -hmm. but we did it. We were lucky, but it didn't last long. (laughs) but that's okay I mean you know I mean Nate post Kasai kind of did okay we were lucky we were very lucky he was watched very closely and we were really lucky with that you know that speaks to like the whole switching and feeding and but I think that like this all speaks to the things the plan of care that -hmm. you decide for your child has an impact not just on your child it has an impact family. on the entire family. Right. It has an impact on you and your partner. It has an impact on any siblings. Right. It has an impact right. on anything like that. So the story you tell is very relevant to what we're mm. talking about because was there a conversation between you and Alex in terms of like who kind of threw in the threw in the towel first before you guys decided to go for the NG tube? Or like was it a consensus? Like no, what? it was more or less the doctor saying, like, you didn't need that weight. Tough. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm taking control now. Like, I let, let you do way. I let you do it your <laughs> way, you know, yeah. but guess what? Now you got to do it mine. And so I think that's, you know, I just remember feeling so defeated that day after clinic, okay. too, because it yeah. was like, man tried so hard yeah. you know we but were doing all the things yeah so. we were doing all the things and but then too this was a point where in Nate's part he was constantly getting admitted for mm. infections and we had to add a pick line and we are getting closer to transplant day and you know I just remember them saying like he needs to be a certain weight so we gotta make sure that he stays at mm-hmm. that certain weight so Absolutely. you know in the end you know looking back now I understood the thought process but back then I'm a new mom yeah and I'm stubborn as stubborn can get <laughs> can ask any of Nate's doctors they'll agree so it just kind of ended up that way okay but they were like good, good try mom. like gave the college yeah. try all yeah. right we knew you're coming back and then they yeah. walk out of the room probably with 
told you so. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that is, that is one of the things. So like to keep it on the dynamic mm-hmm. in terms of like spouses and stuff like that. Again, I won't put Morgan on in the hot seat here, but like, okay. So overall though, I think there's two things that our experience has that I personally have identified that the experience that we've gone through with Hudson has, I guess, been a wedge or been an issue that we need to address. There you go. I'll I'll phrase it like that. I think, first of all, we get very routine in Mm, his standard of care. Yeah. Right. It's clockwork. It it is, which is easy. Yeah. Right. And it becomes very easy to get very routine. And we've talked about that Mm -hmm. is we're like, wow, like we are on autopilot sometimes. Mm -hmm. And then the second one is the the divisiveness I think that you talked about and what should happen versus what is perceived should happen happen. versus what needs to happen right we have all these opinions I think that there becomes like that exists and I don't know here's our thing is we're also we only have one child right So the disclaimer that I'll throw out there is I don't know if this is like a when you have kids thing mm-hmm. or if you have a kid or if you have a transplant kid or if you have a BA kid or if this is just like every parent experiences this. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm throwing that disclaimer out there, but I think with us specifically, I think it's very easy to get into those two things, the routine of everything with, you know, meds at eight o'clock. And do you have his water when you're going upstairs? Mm-hmm. Has he washed his hands? Has, you know, like all, all of those things, brush his teeth. Yeah. Um, By the way, I didn't do any of that thing. <laughs> thank you for, thank you for being honest about yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I can't tell you how many times I have to ask him every, I have to. No, I think about it every time. And when I don't do it, I'm like, I, I just want him to go to bed. But you know, what's funny is then, but then I'll ask him about it and he'd be like yes I did it like how dare you question me but then on like nights like tonight you're like nope I didn't do it I'm not lying I'm not saying that you're lying no we're talking about the dynamics of things (laughs) exactly (laughs) see what I'm saying is you get mad at me like if I ask you that you've done something and regardless if you have your if or if you haven't Get annoyed, and if I you didn't, get annoyed. I would say I didn't. You get annoyed that I even yeah, asked you. You need to trust that I did it unless I tell you otherwise. So does that mean like the fact that I have to ask you about it? Does that mean no, you don't have to ask me about it? You should already trust that I'm doing <laughs> it. Okay. And my husband does the same thing or, or says the same thing because I will ask, like, did Nate get his meds? Mm-hmm. why are you asking me you should know that i should know he needs his meds mm-hmm. so yeah it's like that that same thing like why so, wouldn't you want to yeah. just confer why wouldn't you want to like for me personally i know the thing of like we communicate everything why wouldn't you over communicate something like when you did something why wouldn't you over communicate that so when you don't over communicate that why to get into the routine of why showing you the checklist of bedtime <laughs> Other than just bringing yourself the burden of worrying about whether, but I, this is the balance. You know, this is the balance. I'm out. yeah. This is the balance I'm talking about. Is yeah. like where's the line, right? Yeah. And I, we're not having this conversation <laughs> on the podcast to like show divisiveness. I think that this is like I'm totally okay having this conversation because it's like 
this is our this lives. This is what happens. Yeah, yeah. this is yeah, our this lives. Is, this is what it is. And like when we stop recording on this, we're probably going to continue to have this conversation. <laughs> like, did you spray his toes? Did you like, <laughs> like, did you do all this? And Morgan's going to think that I like went through a checklist. Yeah. But for me, this is my love language, right? Like, I have to go through a checklist every night. I have like, to go is through that a for checklist your sanity. Every, yeah for my sanity and it's not that I don't trust you it's that's what I need to check off before I end my night right because then you'll sleep better before I start my day it's like I've gone through these motions I've everyone is taken care of yeah right in in that okay I can't say everyone's taken care of me and Hudson are taking care of You should be spraying your toes too. You're you're the one you're the one who gave him athlete's foot. You should be spraying your toes too. Can we explain the spraying of the toes? No, it's not. I don't have athlete's foot. You have athlete's foot. Oh my god! Our child now has athlete's foot. Where do you think it came from? Does that mean I'm an athlete? (laughs) And is there endurance? No, it means you're skilled. But I think that this is like a good example. Like this seems so like this example, yes, seems so trivial and dumb, but like, this is obviously something that happens. Yeah. Like this checklist of things. And we used to, like when Hudson was first transplanted, we had this actual like physical list, mm-hmm. right? That we would check off. Do you remember yeah. that? Like yeah. the list of the meds, because granted yeah. he was on like what? Oh, there are like so many. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Four, post trans yeah. yeah, 14 different meds. Different like, So we have this physical Monday, Wednesday, list. Friday. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that you went through and it was like a physical list that we went through yeah. and checked. And, and it was like. Crossed off the ones after the clinic. We're like, yeah. okay, we don't need that one. And finally, when we're down to just the two, yeah, so for us, like, guess what? Like post trans immediately post transplant, that was socially acceptable mm-hmm. to do that. Right. Is we had it on the mm-hmm. cabinet yep. and we just like went through it and checked it off. But like, that's also become the standard. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't I right. Men- right. mentally, right. even though we're not physically checking off this list because we only have one med now. Yeah. I mean, we are so lucky that we only have one med now. Like, why is it for me, again, this is like my perspective here. Like if we've been doing this since day one, why is it the end of the world that I double check that? I I don't see it as a life or death thing. And I think as the other parent, if, if I decide one night that we're going to bed and that's that, like I shouldn't have to have, I don't know this disappointment from my spouse that I didn't brush his teeth or I didn't spray his feet or whatever yeah, yeah I didn't do you know? I and I now granted if I don't yeah. do it for a week yeah crucify me that's a different podcast but if I decide one night I think I should have you know the the I don't know I had authority or leeway whatever you call it that's what it is yeah and then yeah. let's just go to bed yeah. We go tomorrow's another day. But, so I mean, you know? on on air here, I'll say that like I I don't agree, but that's fine. I will put that in the record. Saying, yeah, <laughs> for the record. For the, so this show. brings me to like you know to kind of like bring it all back, everything that we've talked about and have shared. And and Morgan, thank you for sitting 
in the hot seat tonight with us two women. It just reminds me of, and I used to hate this when people would say like, oh, don't sweat the small stuff, right? Because they're not in your shoes. They don't know what your small stuff is, right? But I think at the end of the day, there is some truth to that is not to sweat the small things. And it's easier said than done when you're in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. I think that that still applies. Yeah. Regardless if it's right when you're going through the first experience you're going through, what, you know, with BA, transplant, all that, I'm still going through that. I'm still having to go through my Zen place. What we need to the listeners, something to get out of this discussion tonight is one, you're not alone hearing your guys' story tonight totally made me feel good too, because it's like, okay, we weren't the only ones that fought and bickered the whole time through this, you know? (laughs) So thank you for sharing that. (laughs) But I think too, it just, it helps people know that one, both are going to have feelings. Both are going to go through this differently and both are going to get to the end at their own pace and differently too if you recognize that together and try, just Mm -hmm. try, try and come up with communication plan, try and come up with a schedule that's going to work best for your family and best in your situation. Just try and understand that you guys are separate, but you're also in this together and that you have to be able to be there for each other, no matter what, because the end result is that child End result is making sure that that child is healthy, whether it's the Kasai works and, you know, they move on to living with BA in in the Kasai or getting them to transplant and going down that road. So I think that that's one of the important things in this tonight to share with people who are listening. One of the things that like I constantly remind myself is when my mom passed away, which is almost 10 years ago, we met with a chaplain and we spoke with her and the advice that she gave us one of the evenings the consultations that we talked about was everyone's going to grieve in mm-hmm. a different way yep. and your grief isn't better or worse or right or wrong than anyone else's so you need to approach someone's reaction with compassion and understanding Mm -hmm. and I think that that applies to our situation right where there's yes maybe it's not grief 100% of the time but I think that in the initial state a lot of it is right grieving grieving a normal life right you're grieving the normal life that you know yeah yeah grieving this like picturesque family you know all Mm -hmm. all of this like all of the white picket fence that we talked about right right? like all all these these like normal social norms if you will right and I think from that I took like that everyone's going to go through this differently Mm -hmm. whether or not it's right or wrong is not relevant right because everyone's different it's really about communicating how you feel because you can't tell someone else how they feel I can just go to my partner to Morgan and say, this is like, this situation is making me feel this way. And it is not my place to tell Morgan how he should feel about that situation. It's his responsibility as my partner to recognize what I said and how I felt 
about that situation, but it's not his responsibility and his obligation to feel that same way. I think taking that into consideration, as well as the advice of what I said previously, Mm -hmm. is it doesn't matter how it happens, does it happen, right? right? Is the child fed? Does it matter how they were fed? Is the child bathed? Does it matter how the child was, you know, like these little things. Am I saying that I'm perfect, that I do that every time? Absolutely not. But I think that those guidelines have been very successful in our relationship. And you can correct me if I'm wrong, Morgan. Yeah. Like what are your your final thoughts? thoughts. No, I I think it hit the nail on the head. There are two individuals with independent thoughts and feelings. One should not resent the other for their outward behavior or reaction to anything that that goes on through the whole thing. People process information differently. People go through Mm -hmm. past experiences differently that they learn differently. I think Mm -hmm. it's as long as it's communicated and addressed in something like that. Okay, so Morgan, to wrap this up, what would be your advice to a father whose child has been newly diagnosed with biliary atresia? What are some advice that you could give them from day one until just how to handle some of the things that we have talked about tonight from your perspective, from a dad's perspective? I don't know if I'd answer it specifically from a dad's perspective, but from someone in my position in the relationship, because dads might take the primary and the wife might take the secondary or wife, wife, husband, husband, you know, whatever it's going to be. Right. Uh, But if you're in a position where you're understanding your role to be more supportive and leading is to understand what your role is listen intently follow along do what needs to be done you know i took it upon myself to kind of put emotion to the side throughout hudson's whole thing i i had to compartmentalize and look at him as if he was this object and as the doctors and nurses were you know going at him with ivs and all this other stuff it was you know i had to like help hold him down which is mm-hmm. terrible it's emotional mm-hmm. and you don't want to do it but I had to take that and put it to the side and just get the task done because I know this is going to help them and get it done. But just where they say, don't sweat the small stuff is if someone's like me is in that supportive role, just take care of the small stuff. Mm -hmm. So someone doesn't have to worry about or sweat about the small stuff and be the supportive role and drive to the hospital when someone's feeling beat down and take care of it. On that, first of all, thank you for for joining me and Jordan. I know there are probably yeah, I know there's probably some, you know, uncomfortable or maybe a couple. Yeah, you know. And you put yourself out there and it's hard to put yourself out there. It really is. It's hard to put yourself out there in this. And we do this because we know we're we're trying to help others. And so very grateful for that. So just wanna thank for joining the both of us tonight. Thank you. Try, try to separate them, it's an illusion. Try, try, try and you will only 